Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And folks, on today's show, we are pleased to have with us Mark Wickersham. Hey, Ron. Hey, Ed. How's it going? Going great. Going great. You know, rehearsing a lot for my show. We'll talk more about that later, maybe Uh, in the bonus episode. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, I'm yep. excited about today. Longtime friend Mark Wickersham's with us uh, by by audience demand, too. Yes, I but, know this, which is great. So we, we expect some great ratings from this one. Looking forward to it. For sure. uh, well, let me let me get the, the particulars out of the way. Mark Wickersham is a chartered accountant, public speaker and number one bestselling author. He is a most sought after for after profit improvement expert in the accounting community. He also strongly believes that the old business model, the way accountants are taught to run accounting firms, is not only commercially stupid, but unethical. Mark is a widely published author on practice issues, and in May 2011, his book, Effective Pricing for Accountants, was a number one Amazon bestseller. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Mark Wickersham. Oh, thank you for that introduction. That was awesome, and I'm so privileged to be here. It's great. Well, we are happy to have you. So for the benefit of our audience who don't know you that well, let's 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 delve in. What's the Mark Wickersham story? How'd you how'd you end up here? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I, I've, it's a long journey because I've been in this profession for a heck of a long time now, over 30 years, 1988, left university, went to work for a, a large multi-partner firm, spent three years qualified as a chartered accountant, which in the UK, I guess it's the equivalent of a CPA I then spent three years seconded to their tax department, became corporation tax manager. But then it was 96. I wanted to do my own thing, start my own accounting firm. Exciting, exciting time. Little did I know how hard the next few years would be. I made every mistake in the book. And, and by, uh, let me think, it was 1998, end of 98, uh, I went on a three-day event by my friend Steve Pipe. Uh, that really changed my life because that took me on a journey where I then in 99 met uh, Paul Dunn and Paul Dunn introduced me to Ron Baker. And it was Ron that in 99 explained to me what value pricing was. And for me, this light bulb went on because I realized I'd been pricing completely wrong, which is why I made no money for the first three years in my accounting firm. (laughs) And so I changed the way I priced and that had a huge impact so much. So a, I sold my accounting firm to my client managers a few years later, I then started working with Steve Pipe and teaching accountants in the UK through an organization called AVN, a network of accountants. And then in 2014, I started the Value Pricing Academy and I've been teaching accountants and bookkeepers all around the world, uh, pretty much exclusively value pricing since 2014. And why do you do this, Mark? Why do you do what you do? The, The Simon Sinek why question. I think the why is because Being an accountant myself, I am extremely passionate about this profession. I think it's a profession that 
doesn't do very well from all my benchmarking studies. The average profit of the average accounting firm is nowhere near where it should be compared to other professions and, and some other industries. In fact, in the UK, a little while, a few years back, the average plumber apparently made more money than the average accountant, which was interesting. So I, I, I'm kind of I'm passionate about the profession, being from the profession, having had my own struggles. And the thing that drives me about pricing is it's absolutely the fastest way to change profits. You could, uh, I, I've, I've, I've seen so many accountants and bookkeepers now have their results completely transformed by just changing the way they price. So that kind of, that's what drives me on it. it it's seeing the change it has to, to people in the profession that have been struggling suddenly uh, having a much more fun in their firms and, and starting to achieve what they want. And I love that. I love that part of your story where you say, well, you, you improved your pricing in the firm that you had started, made it really profitable, but loved doing this so much that you said, I'm going to walk away from that profit to go over here and start this other thing because you were so passionate about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed running my accounting firm. It's a long time ago now, but I, I enjoyed it. But what I found is when I was first invited to speak on a stage, which was Steve Pike, to a room full of accountants at the end of 1999, uh, I was scared of that. Being an introvert, I was seriously scared. But something I said resonated. And he asked me to come back and speak at every one of his events after that. And we went into business together. And I actually found that I really enjoyed standing up and, and helping the profession and, and teaching. So that's kind of what drives me. I, whilst I love my accounting firm, I would never go back to being an accountant in practice because this is what I love to do, just sharing my message. Yeah, it's a great story. So I, I have to ask you about this because I did pull the that line that I did used in your in your the read in from from your bio on your website. Why unethical? Why are the is the current model that most accountants use not only suboptimal clearly, which you, you've you've demonstrated and proved over and over again in all the firms, but why is it also unethical? Yeah, controversial. I know, but. I, I truly, truly believe that because I, th I think back to when I was a, a manager in practice before I started my own firm. So I go back to 1995 and I think about the way that uh, the, the profession worked, keeping the timesheet. So a, a very common situation would be I would be in charge of a job, being the manager, and people were working on the job and completing timesheets and so on. Uh, and then they'd get to a point where I'm reviewing the job it's coming to the end. I'd run off the work in progress report. And almost every time there'd be this flipping act, we've nearly hit the budget of what we're expecting to be able to bill. I'd best hurry up and be efficient and get this job reviewed, out the door, meet the client, get it done so we don't have to write off too much time. And the problem with that is that's absolutely not in the best interest of the client because the time that we can add the most value is not reconciling the bank accounts and filling in the tax form. We add the most value by then reflecting and thinking and using our skills with, with numbers and tax and stuff to think about how can we better help this client? How can we help them solve their, solve their problems? How can we help them achieve their goals? How can we help them improve their sales, reduce their costs, improve their cash flow? And we can do extraordinary things for businesses. But if we're too busy trying to just get things done efficiently, trying to meet the budgets, then we're letting, the, we're letting our clients down. And to me, that's unethical. 
And I would add to that the flip side, which is all of the accounting professionals who put on their timesheets, not what they what actually happened, but what they think should have happened. So that when the boss like you was reviewing the count, you said, oh, look at this. We're right on budget where we thought we were going to be. Absolutely. I mean, it's scary when I think back to how fictional the timesheets are and how we fiddle them. Uh, when I, the firm I worked at, we were given a budget of allowable sick leave and allowance for office admin. And so you'd make sure the first thing you did every week was fill in the bits you allowed to, the, non- the non-chargeable, because then you looked like you were more efficient on your chargeable work. And then you would dump more time to those that weren't your jobs, the big audits, for example, so that your little clients, it looked like you were really super efficient. Something so talk... No, talk to me a little bit about this in, in your practice when you've helped people shift. Do you find that, that some still try to cling on to the t- timesheet? And what is, your, what is your advice to them or what is your admonition to them, I guess is a better word? Yeah, that is a big problem. They, they, we are so used to the timesheet. It's used as a crutch. And it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. We have to get, we absolutely have to get rid of it. But the profession has been so used to it. It's been ingrained. And so I I think that um, whilst I believe that you have to get rid of the timesheet, I think the profession being very systematic in their thinking needs a replacement. They need need something that's going to help them price without the timesheet. Otherwise, they'll never just get rid of it. They need a replacement. Right. And that, and that's clearly the value pricing bit too, which we would certainly want to talk to you about. I, I just want to harp on the timesheet a little bit. Are you, so do you absolutely recommend that people rid themselves of the timesheet and that, that, that that's one of the, the core messages that you preach? I think, it's, I think it's, there's no place for a timesheet whatsoever. Uh, I, I, I wish I, I had the ability to get rid of the timesheets in people's firms, but they, they love them. They, they love them. The problem I have with it well, there's lots of problems, but the biggest one, I think, is just the fact that they use it as a crutch and therefore it's a fallback option. And so if something's difficult to price, we'll just add up hours. And, and yet if we, if we could take away the timesheet completely, it forces you to think differently, to think more creatively, to think about how can we price this job if we haven't got timesheets. And that's what we need to do as a profession. We need to start thinking outside the box. We need to be more creative. We need to think about value. But whilever we've got timesheets, we're always going back to, in our mind, thinking of hours. So, and I think I know the answer to this question, but I, I want to hear it from you. In your, in your role as a consultant to the profession now, how do you handle the question when they say to you, well, what's your, what's your hourly rate? <laughs> <laughs> well, well my, if, if, if an accountant says to me, they get asked, what's the hourly rate? Well, the answer to that is very clearly, I, I would suggest, say, you don't have hourly rates because there's no requirement in the accounting profession to keep char- timesheets to charge based on the hour. So just people to say to people, I don't have an hourly rate. And that's what you say to, obviously. I'm just talking about, I, I found this hysterical that, that, you know, that people come occasionally to Ron and myself who want help with pricing and then have the, uh, and ask the unironic question, at least in their mind, about what our charge rate is. Oh, well, that's a really bizarre one. I've never had that, never had that yet. But yeah, that would be a seriously bizarre question. <laughs> well, and so let, let's talk a little bit about that. We've got about two minutes before our break. Why don't you get that question? What is it that you do from a marketing standpoint that that you just don't get that question? Well, I suppose in my case, it's because I, I made a very clear decision 
to never, ever, ever work one-to-one with people because I want to build something that's more scalable. And so I have a business where, and I want to make as big a difference to the profession as possible. I want to help as many accountants and bookkeepers as I can. So in the Value Pricing Academy, I have almost 600 people that I work with every single month. I teach them every single month, but it's scalable. It's all online in group meetings, which from my point of view means that Firstly, uh, it's a very profitable business model. Uh, it also is one that I can live anywhere in the world. So I live in Portugal right now, uh, which is kind of my dream for a long time. Uh, and that's because I have this in completely virtual online business. And that was a decision I made. No one-to-one work. It's not scalable one-to-one. And therefore, there's no reason to have an hourly rate. Perfect. Well, we're up against our first break. Want to remind folks that they can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. And three quick shout outs to our Patreon members, Mark Gandy at CFO Bookshelf and his podcast at cfobookshelf.com, Geraldine Carter at Smart Strategy for CPAs, and her podcast is shethinksbigcoaching.com. And lastly, Blake Oliver at CPE. Also, earmarkcpe.com. But now a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Mark Wickersham of the Value Pricing Academy. Mark, um, so funny, you were talking about the timesheet and filling in all the non-billable time. Uh, Recently, there was a hurricane, I think it was a couple years ago, and Big Four actually issued a code to its employees for the hurricane. So if you were, you know, put out of work by the hurricane, you had a code for your timesheet. Unbelievable. I actually saw the memo that went out. Um, It was hysterical. So, but I have a question for you, Mark. You have said that per a recent benchmarking report 
over 50% of accounting firms don't make an economic profit. You didn't say profit, you said economic profit. So explain why you think that's happened. Yeah, well, firstly, when I say, so uh, when I say economic profit, one of the things about the profession is very often we trade as a unincorporated business, sole practitioner, partnership. And one of the things you do not record in there is, is market salary of, of the partner, of the owner. And even if it's a corporate, very often for tax reasons, money is taken out as dividend rather than a proper commercial salary. And so when I've done benchmarking studies in the past in the UK, the average profit of a UK, this is a UK accounting firm, so for, so UK example, but last time I did the benchmarking study, it was consistently around 65, 68,000 pounds per profit, which is interesting because the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales at that time was reporting the average salary of an accountant in the UK was 70,000. So if we were to put in the, the true uh, the true market salary for the business owners, actually that means that over half of UK accounting firms are loss-making, which is scary. And, and I think the single biggest reason for that is the profession just does no idea how to price crazy cheap compared to, for example, how lawyers charge and so on. I think the profession's got a real problem with pricing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But I think it, do you think it goes deeper than that? You know, we do a lot of uh, shows on strategy and positioning and our colleague Tim Williams who I think you saw or met down in Allen Texas when you came um, he's really convinced me that it, you know we say all the time that you can't value price the wrong customer and it just seems to me that so many firms try and be all things to all people you know never met a billable hour they didn't like a dollar they didn't like a customer they didn't like they just they refused to niche down do you think that's also part of the problem Absolutely. A big problem. It's when I teach people in the Value Pricing Academy, one of the things I teach is that we have to start off and think about strategy. What is our strategy? What's our pricing strategy? What's our marketing strategy? And a key component of marketing strategy is to be crystal clear on who is the right client, the ideal client profile. Most firms don't, don't have one. As you say, they take on anybody. And yet time and time again, we, we know that we know the specialist makes more money than the generalist. Everybody knows that. And I see it in firms, in those firms that have taken that leap, that have decided to really drill down and know who to say no to. But you're right. Most people, I, th I think one of the biggest problems in our profession is that we have too many clients. There's a, in the UK, for example, a lot of, a lot of firms have over 100 clients per partner or per fee earner. And to me, if you've got 100 clients, how can you properly serve them? Because we're in a business where we should, we should be interacting more. We're in a relationship business with clients. They, they buy us. Not, it's not a transactional business. They're, they're buying the, the, our personality, how we can help them. And therefore, we should be meeting our clients and working with them month in, month out. But if we have 100, over 100 clients in our portfolio, how can we possibly give them the attention, the service that they deserve? And yet, interestingly, when we do work deeper with clients and work every single month with them, we spot more opportunities to, to serve them at higher levels, doing more profitable work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I actually think we pay lip service to the relationship because our business model is not aligned to monetizing the relationship. It's aligned to monetizing transactions. Even to some extent, that's true of value pricing, which pains me to say, by the way, but 
I've kind of come to that conclusion. What's your response to that? Well, actually, I was thinking of a question as to my question was kind of what, my question back to you was, was why have you come to that conclusion? I'm just intrigued. I've come to that conclusion because we don't put the, re the relationship is not at the center of the business model. What is at the center is this idea of pricing the customer and, you know, figuring out a scope of work and all this stuff, having change orders. If you go out of scope, all this crap. This is why I'm a big proponent of subscription because I think it just it does away with all of that. I mean, it's a topic we can talk about later, but I, I just I think we pay lip service as a profession to the relationship because, as you say, Mark, there's no way to have a relationship with over 100 clients. No, one of the things that uh, as, as a professional, I, I think that our focus in our firms, our number one focus should be on the client, on how can we change their lives? Because we're in a, we're in a privileged position as a profession because we, we get access to more financial data than anybody else. And we, and we understand numbers. We can quite literally change people's lives by helping them to save taxes, increase their sales, increase their profits, their cash flows. We can save businesses. And, and sometimes, sadly, and I've had stories of sometimes business owners, when they've been in real trouble, have ended up taking their own lives because of the stress and the problems. And I've heard of accountants who have literally changed, changed and saved lives because they've saved businesses. We're in a very privileged position, but we don't spend enough time focusing on the value. And one of the things that it's a simple idea, but if we were just to take once a week to take one, one of our clients and think about them and go away for a couple of hours, sit in a coffee shop with, without any distractions, with a paper and pen, and ask ourselves some questions about that client. How could we possibly increase their sales? How could we possibly help them increase their profits, reduce their taxes, reduce their costs? We're skilled people. We could come up with dozens of ideas for how we could help that client we're thinking on. But we don't do that because we're too busy doing low value work. And so we're, we're letting our clients down, our best, our A grade, grade clients, we're letting them down because we're not spending enough time thinking and thinking about how to solve their problems. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've come back to this idea that it's because that's sitting down and thinking, first off, isn't billable. I can't put that on my pricing proposal. I can't, you know, put that on my timesheet. Um, you just, there's no, there's no reward structure for investing in the lifetime value of the customer, which I think subscription puts at the forefront of your KPIs, your dashboard in your mind and innovations baked into that model. That's why I think subscription is superior as a business model to say just a value pricing firm. Yeah, and the subscription model is, I mean, we've talked before, Ron, about it. It's, it's a fascinating idea. It's the one that you call value pricing 2.0. And I'd love to see it be more widespread in the profession. I think the challenge I have with the subscription model is, is that firms right now are really struggling to grasp value pricing. And, and, and until they get there, I just wonder where that's a st just a step too far for most firms at the moment. Um, but I but I can't wait to see how the thinking develops and see how firms go down that path because some will. There'll be some at the leading edge that that will be showing us the way. And and to some extent, Mark, I think making the leap from hourly to subscription is easier than going from value pricing to subscription. So in some respects, those people that are stuck in hourly have an easier time of it, making um, that that transformation. 
but that that's something that you know we talk a lot about we have multiple shows on it um but so let me get your ideas on this um you, you know you talked about uh you, you published a book i think it was in 2017 how to build a successful bookkeeping business and i think you have a co-author with you i'm not sure i, th- I think that's right is that right yes jane Owen. yeah okay we talk a lot about bookkeepers having deeper relationships with their customers than do the accountants because they're at the coal face they're usually in there they might get called first by the customer when they're having a problem to find out you know maybe what to do about it do, do you find that's true that the bookkeepers actually have better relationships with the customers absolutely because they work because bookkeepers generally are working with clients more frequently on a monthly basis, sometimes a weekly basis. Whereas certainly in the UK, a lot of accountants, because they've got too many clients, the vast majority of them, they only see them once a year to sign off the end of year financial statements, the end of year tax returns, which which is bizarre. You can't build a relationship when you're only seeing your client once a year. So I think the book, I think bookkeepers have a, in some respects, a, a bit of an advantage in, in terms of the opportunity for them to, to really develop and build those client relationships. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to see more move to subscription from bookkeepers than we will from accountants, at least at the start, because they already understand the value of that relationship. And like you said, they have fewer customers as well. That helps because they have deeper relationships with every one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing is, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but um, there was an article recently in Harvard Business Review of all places, which I just stopped reading because I think everything and it's pretty much wrong. But it was an interesting article called What Professional Service Firms Must Do to Thrive. And they actually had a spectrum, a way to analyze your customer portfolio, commodity work, procedure work, gray hair work kind of requires more experience and then rocket science you know that's the real creative stuff innovative stuff and what they pointed out was firms as they grow even if they start in their lane will inevitably spread out across maybe not the entire spectrum but most of it in one way or the other even if they start at rocket science they'll slide down to commodity or close or the procedure and I, I just think this is a big problem in our profession. We just go after everything. And then we wonder why there's dissension among the leaderships and disagreements. Uh, we wonder why it's hard to train team members because we don't stand for anything. We'll take anybody. Absolutely. I, I think that's the problem with businesses generally. Businesses, they, they think that the answer is to diversify and, and do more stuff and just keep diversifying, diversifying. And actually what we see over and over again is that when we actually get some focus and focus in on the right clients, the right services, that's when we start to start to build more profitable and more saleable businesses. And that's a hard sell I have found to try and get uh, businesses or firms to niche down and, and shed lines. Cause I think you're defined by the, the, the customers you don't have and the services you don't provide. Like you said, yeah. it makes it easier to say no when, you, when you're easily in your lane, when you know what your lane is. I, I had exactly the same thing myself personally, 18 months ago. We, we were starting to stagnate in our business. And, and one of the things I do is I, I sell, I've got books, I sell video training courses, as well as the Value Pricing Academy. And we realized that we, were, so we had about 
20 or 30 courses we were selling on our website. So 18 months ago, just before the pandemic, we took all of our courses off, stopped selling them, and decided to do one thing, the Value Pricing Academy. And we've doubled our profits in the last 12 months as a result of that real focus. And, and, and so it, it works having that focus and avoid the temptation to try and be all things to all people. But it's so counterintuitive. It scares the heck out of people. Well, Mark, this is great. Unfortunately, we're up against our next break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, check out patreon.com slash TSOE and you can subscribe to the show and also get our bonus content. That show is now sponsored by 90 Minds. More minds are better than one. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back with Mark Wickersham, chartered accountant, public speaker, and number one best-selling author of the book, Effective Pricing for Accountants. We will put a link in the show notes to that. Hopefully drive some new book sales for Mark. Maybe get it back to number one for you, Mark. How about that? That would be a lot of fun. We can we can swing that. Um, but uh, Mark, I, I wanted to, to talk with you a little bit about what has been your experience, both personally and professionally. Is there anything that surprised you about the way the profession reacted to uh, and has handled the the COVID nineteen situation. Oh, that's an interesting question, and one I wasn't expecting at all. Um, good, <laughs> good. Uh, I, I found that. Um, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate in as much as that the, the firms I work with generally are the smaller firms, and I prefer to work with the smaller firms. I find multi partner firms challenging because partners can't flip and make a decision and so they don't do anything and they don't change but interestingly over the last uh, 12 months i have had so many of the firms that i talked to in the value pricing academy who have reported that the last 12 months 
since lockdowns and so on has been a really good 12 months. And from a personal point of view, uh, I, I, the, the last 12 months has been by quite some way my most profitable year. It's, it's been uh, a, a, big, a big change. And, and that was, I think, because when, when uh, we had that surprise news of lockdowns in the UK, it was, uh, it was the end of the second week of March uh, 2020. And, and it was a bit of a shock. And, I, and I, was, I found in my business, which is a subscription-based model, we were starting to lose customers. Uh, accountants and, and bookkeepers because they were worried about the impact of on their clients and and worried about whether or not they could still could afford to pay subscriptions to people like me. So for a little while there was a worry. But what was interesting is I, I kind of thought to myself, okay, worst that can happen is my business folds. I've built up a business, I've built up two businesses before. Uh, I can do it again for the fourth time. So I then said to myself, okay, if if in three months from now, every customer left and I had to start from scratch, what would that business look like? And I thought, oh, that's quite exciting. We could do this and we could do that. So over the next three months of between March and June of 2020, we started to change things in the business. And, uh, and they had a, a huge impact in hindsight, uh, with, which, which, which we wouldn't have changed perhaps without, without COVID. And I was teaching some of these things to my audience and teaching the accountants and the bookkeepers that, uh, that, that they need to think about and help their clients think about, well, we need to revisit our business models. What do we need to change? How, what do we need to do different? Because this is a, obviously a big, a big impact in, the, in businesses, in the economy. And one of the messages I was saying was that some of the changes that we're going to have to go through actually changes permanently. And for example, one of the things that, that I've been saying for a long time now is that we're going to be increasingly moving our businesses online. And one of the implications of that, which the profession's not very great at, is that means we have to have meetings with clients, talk about pricing, for example, via a webcam, via Zoom. And the way that we communicate online is very different to the way that we communicate face-to-face. -face. And we have to learn these skills, which the profession generally is not great with communication. And yet when we do become better at communicating, we can differentiate ourselves from other accountants and bookkeepers who are bad. When we get better at communicating and embrace this new world that we're in, it opens up some really exciting opportunities. Yeah, interesting you point that out because I, I just was doing some rereading for a presentation I had to do this week. And I was reminded of, of Tim Harford's book, who's also uh, in the UK, wrote a great book called 50, 50 Inventions That Change the Modern Economy, one of them being double entry bookkeeping. And he makes the point in his, his uh, book about this that the very language of accounting is auditory, is language, right? It's a, a verbal accounting. It's an auditors who were the listeners and we're really getting back originally to the roots over that, over this this relationship piece, which I, I just just found fascinating. Any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I've not, never read the book, but then yeah. one of my uh, one of my, I, I know that Ron reads an incredible number of books, and I guess you do as well. I'm not good at reading books, and I think it's because uh, I'm a visual person. You know, some people are auditory, some people are kinesthetic. Uh, uh, reading suits auditory people because we read in our heads we speak to ourselves as we read uh, i'm very visual so i have to say i don't read business books anymore i used to 
Uh, I used, to, I think I overdosed on them. Uh, I tend to do my learning on my, my learning is all done by watching because I'm visual, visual. So I, I, I'm, I am always every day learning via YouTube and buying video training courses. So sometimes when you and Ron quote these books at me, I'm thinking I've never read them. <laughs> But check out Tim Harford. You, you can find a video of him. I think you would find his, his stuff pretty, pretty, pretty um, robust. And he's got a new one out called The Data Detective, which I think you would like as well. Um, you, you anticipated, in a way, my next question in your answer to the one about um, COVID-19. And you gave part of your answer, but I want you to expound on a little bit. Talk about the problems with the partnership model. Okay. Uh, so... And I'll give you my thoughts, which are nothing, I guess, nothing surprising, but but also just bear in mind that I don't have a huge amount of experience because I don't work with partnerships. I don't want to work with partnerships because the, the problem is, and I could perhaps give an example from my, my own experience. The, 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 I think that the problem with partnerships is they never sit down and, and talk about what they're goals are in life. So they, they're all pulling in different directions. Uh, a multi-partner firm is often just a collection of sole practitioners all sharing the, sharing the roof. And so w- when you've got people all with different goals, different objectives, the, the, firms, uh, the firm will stagnate. And from a, my own experience of this, I, when I sold my accounting firm, I went into business with Steve Pipe. We ran AVN. And for many years, it was an amazing business. Steve is incredibly creative. And so we built this extraordinary business. But as it grew, we brought in more and more people. And then Steve decided to part retire. And to finance that, we had to then bring in people as shareholders and fellow directors. And I went, went from a business in a short space of time where it's me and Steve making all the decisions and doing stuff and being creative to suddenly having a board of directors and having to get agreements. And after a few years of, of having these board meetings where now some of the conversations were crazy things, we'd, we'd get to October time and we'd spend half of the one day board meeting talking about where we might host the Christmas party. And I'm sat there thinking, this is, this is just mind-numbingly boring. It's, it's so insignificant. And so I, that's why uh, I then decided to start the Value Pricing Academy in 2014. And I said to Sarah, I said, I'm going to build a big business without hiring people. And, uh, and we have a business now that's seven figures. It's me and Sarah, one of my daughters, one of Sarah's daughters, and that's it. I don't want to employ any outsider, partly because I'm incompetent when it comes to leadership and, and people management. <laughs> I, am, I am just terrible at people management. But, but also because I, I don't want to go back to that stage where you've got multi, multi-owners in a business pulling in different directions uh, and the business just stagnates. And I mean, the, the only reason that multi-partner firms, I think, uh, make money is because of the economies of scale, but they're not they're not very dynamic. They're not, they're not very creative. They're not changing business models. And I think, and I think that the way that technology is moving and I think now is a great time to be a small business, a small accounting firm, a small, a small bookkeeping firm, because with the various technologies, we can compete with the big firms uh, using technology available, like, for example, being able to do videos, and, and get across our brands and our personalities and really play on the fact that we have relationships with our clients. Whereas if you go and work for a big firm, you'll never talk to the senior partner. 
Yeah. Well, as my brilliant co-host often says, when these big firms get together, it's dinosaurs mating. Love that uh, phrase. So, um, Mark, I'm going to ask you, uh, I think this is probably my most challenging question. So just to, to give that as a, as a run, we've got about three minutes left. And a study was done about 10 years ago of, of um, Canadian accounting professionals. So it included accountants and bookkeepers, but people who were, were practitioners, small, small firms. Curiously, it came back with the following, that men-owned firms outcharged women-owned firms in roughly the same proportion as we see in this, you know, women make 80 cents on the dollar compared to men. And so the, the women, women firms were charging 80% roughly of what the male-owned firms were charging. And what I found interesting about this is they're setting their own price, right? It's the, do, you, do you find anything in the, in the folks that you work with? And again, this is not to be, I, this is a phrase that I stole from my mentor, Howard Hansen. This is not um, sexist, but gender specific. Do you, do you find that there are challenges and differences between men and women in the way they set price? I think there's a lot of sense in that. I think that the the thing what what sits behind the prices that people charge, I think, is a a, a sense of their their perception of their own worth. And I, I do. I mean, I, I I interact a lot in various various Facebook groups, and 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 there's a lot of Facebook groups of bookkeepers, and and I'm I find it extraordinary how those how low some of them charge hourly rates and i'm thinking why are they charging such low incredibly low hourly rates 10 15 20 dollars an hour i sometimes come across and think that's absolutely crazy but i think it's down to uh the, the, just a sense of what their, their their worth is and yet having said all that when i um i mean i had an amazing success story yesterday i, I in my community i find that uh some of the the women in the community are, are really grasping this value pricing, sometimes better than the men, and getting mm-hmm. some in, in, incredible results. Some, some of my best students are, uh, are, are women. Mm-hmm. And, and I would and be I, curious if you have any data about that, because I think what you just said is absolutely true, because Ron and I have worked with a lot of, uh, especially in Canada, that's where, where this whole thing started. And we find that that the, the, the women who move are much more, um, let's call it aggressive with their pricing. Once, once it starts to click, I think they're better at it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I agree with that. I had a, I had a, can I tell you a, a short story? I got, I sure. got a message. Yeah. I got a message on my Facebook group just yesterday. And this is a typical thing I get pretty much every day. I get success stories because I, I ask for stories. And this is a lady in, uh, in Canada, bookkeeper. And she said, just use the effective pricing software for the third time since I started value pricing. Not only did, I, did it provide me with a 154% increase from what I would have charged using my old pricing methods, but my price is a whopping 902% increase from what his previous bookkeeper was charging him. 902% increase on the previous bookkeeper. And she went on in the post to explain why and the learning points and the process she went through. But I, that's the sort of things I'm finding that, that some of these, some of these women, um, women bookkeepers, once they start to recognize that they are valuable, they can do extraordinary things, uh, some of them are really getting it and getting some incredible results with their pricing. Yeah, that's great stuff, Mark. Um, but we are up against our last break. Want to remind those of you that you can contact Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. 
Of course, the website, as mentioned, The Soul of Enterprise, where we post show notes to all previous shows. I think we're up to 355 now and also previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're here with mark wickersham and mark i know your value pricing academy you got customers from around the world and i would imagine english-speaking world um so tell me, which countries do you see leading in the diffusion, you know, that diffusion curve, the early ad- the innovators, the early adapters, and the early majority, you've seen that bell, bell curve, diffusion curve. Um, who's, which country is in the lead in terms of adoption, percentage of firms adopting value pricing? Yeah, interesting question. I, I need to probably... Uh, the my audience, you are correct, it's from the English-speaking world, but it's also uh, because of time zones. I do very little work with firms in the other side of the world, so Australia and New Zealand. So I don't have much data from Australia and New Zealand, but I did a benchmarking study back in the middle of 2019 where I surveyed to find out how much we charge for bookkeeping services, and there were 2,683 people responded to that survey and one of the things I found was interesting uh, from that, uh, and also surprising, is I, I found that of all of the countries, the, the one getting the best results with pricing was, by some margin, was the US. And I was a bit saddened because the UK were terrible. And the reason I was a bit surprised because a lot of people say that uh, Australia are ahead of the curve, hence you know, zero and cloud pricing and stuff, and then followed by the UK and the US lags. Uh, and I don't know whether that's true or not, but from a pricing perspective, I found that the firms in the US were getting better prices. 
and I and I don't know what the reason why the reason that is, but in my reports and when I've done webinars before, I've often cited the reason must be because Ron Baker's from the US, and so he's <laughs> he's leading the value pricing, <laughs> but but also because as well I think that as you know Ron that. Uh, Intuit QuickBooks had their firm of the future thing, and, and they have huge market share uh, and influence in the US. And they've had uh, me speaking for five years in a row at QB Connect. You've, you've always spoken there. And so I think between the two of us, our, our message is getting out there in the US, whereas in the UK, there isn't really anybody talking about value pricing. And you might say, well, you, should, you must be, Mark. Well, yeah, I am, but I have a very small audience in the UK. I think increasingly in the last few years, my audience is mainly North America. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's been my experience that the US is still in the lead in terms of diffusion. If you look at some of the AICPA stats or the state societies, 30 to 40% of firms report they do value pricing. Now, I take those numbers with a huge vat of salt because it's self-reported. It might not be a random sample, all of those problems, but there is no way you roll the clock back 20, 25 years, you, you would have got five or 10% of firms saying that they, that they do value pricing or fixed prices or something like that. So, but I just find it interesting because, yeah, I, I hear different things from different people. They say that, you know, Britain's ahead, the US lags, whatever. And, and you know, it's just interesting to get different perspectives. Um, the other thing, Mark, is any. You know, I know you like behavioral economics, you know, the whole options and anchoring and framing and choices and all of that. Has there been any new insights from that field that have caught your eye in terms of how they can apply to pricing? I don't know. I haven't found anything that's I haven't found anything for the last few years where I've thought, oh, wow, that's that's interesting. That's new. That's something I'd not thought of before. Um, no, so if actually if you have, I'd love to. I'd love to know. I'd love to hear. Uh, but 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 no, I think that. And I mean, there's there's been a lot of studies done over the last, particularly last 10, 20 years, that behavioural ec- economics has become extremely popular. Uh, but I've not seen anything new yet. So let me know if you come across something. I haven't. The guy who who I kind of keep abreast on to to, to kind of cipher this for me is is Roy Sutherland, and he's from Ogilvy Mather in the UK. He's all over. On video, you can catch him speaking at conferences through YouTube or whatever, and he's he always comes up with some, you know, really interesting way to frame a a pricing issue because that's part of his his work is in pricing as well. Um, how about for firms that want to transition to value pricing? Obviously, they should join your Value Pricing Academy. But what book? What, what I know you've published a lot of books. Which of your books would you point them to to get their feet wet? to be exposed to the idea? That's a good question. I, I think that my my second book, which is a practical approach to value pricing, is arguably the better one because um, my, my first book, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never written a book before. And so whilst people say wonderful things about it, it was a kind of very scattered getting my thoughts out, whereas the second one was much more structured in terms of some of the, the, the key foundations of value pricing. So that's the one I'd always recommend. Start with a practical approach to value pricing. Okay, excellent. And we'll we'll link to all your books uh, on the show notes. And then I'm also curious, you got anything new in the works? You're working on something new? Uh, 
Yeah. So the that you in can the value talk pricing about. academy. <laughs> yeah, in the value pricing academy, the primary thing is value pricing, hence the name of it. But I also uh, increasingly teach marketing because the profession keeps asking me for marketing help, and and marketing is something I spend more time actually learning about marketing because I want to grow my business. Uh, I've I've been teaching a lot about business advisory because the profession is really struggling with that. And the big thing this year, the big new thing, which I kind of alluded to earlier, is the profession needs to become better at communicating in this new world. So I launched something which is part of the Value Pricing Academy called the Online Live Academy, where I teach accountants and bookkeepers how to be more more confident in front of a camera, how to be more confident so that when they're talking to, whether it's clients, prospects, one-to-one, and talking about price, they're more confident but also that opens up other opportunities for doing things like video, which is really powerful from a marketing point of view. Even more powerful is when you've got the confidence to go live streaming webinars, for example. And then ultimately I'm teaching people how they can scale their firms by delivering advisory services, not one-to-one, but one-to-many by building a business club, which is essentially my business model. So I've built this, this model, which is a seven figure business and accountants could do something similar because they've got the knowledge, they've got the ability, they just need to to have the confidence to be able to to talk to in in front of webcams, cameras, which is the the way the world is now. And it's not going to change. This is the world we're going to live in for some time. Yeah, Mark, I just have to say this. I remember you sent me a video of one of your programs and I was just amazed. You were going through something that had like you had 25 ideas for firms. One of them was to start like, you know, a social club, a CFO club. I forget what you called it, CEO roundtable or something. And you went through all these things. And I just thought, this guy is not just doing value pricing. Since value pricing touches everything else in the firm, your your scope is far beyond value pricing. I mean, I get the branding and I get why you want to say that. I'm just saying that I know that your content is way beyond pricing. Yeah, I, I guess people know me for value pricing because, and, and yeah, the brand, that's what I call the Value Pricing Academy. But my, my goal is I want to help the profession, the profession to build more, more successful accounting bookkeeping firms and do that by being more valuable to their clients, adding value, uh, so they can also then charge higher fees and create that win-win situation. So, so whilst the focus is on pricing because that's the fastest way to change results, Anything I can help my community with to build a more successful business, whether it's marketing, advisory, all this communication issue uh, is, is what, I would, what I'll help them with. Awesome. And Mark, where can people find you? What's the best way to learn more about what you uh, do? Uh, all sorts of ways. So the, connect on LinkedIn. Anyone that connects on LinkedIn, I can then send them through some links to some free resources. I have a Facebook group called Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham. I actually spend more time on Facebook than, than LinkedIn. So I interact with people via via that. And I run, I do a lot of live, live streams on my YouTube channel. So follow my videos on YouTube, come to a live stream session and uh, type some stuff in the comments and then we can we can start a conversation. Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much. It's been an honor to finally have you on. It's long overdue, but uh, thrilled, thrilled that you gave us some time here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ed, what do we have coming up next week? Next week, Ron, I'm excited that we're going to have, welcome to the show Mustafa Akil, author of Reopening Muslim Minds, a, re, a Return to Reason, Freedom, and Tolerance, and Islam Without Extremes, A Case for Muslim Liberty. Going to be fun. Looking forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours. 
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and we are signing off. But please do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast on your player of choice. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>